Welcome everyone to Desert Dogcast, Five for Howling, official Arizona Coyotes podcast. Finally back for the 2021 season. Since it's been a while, Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you had a good holiday, a good, real good last few months, really. Uh, just try to round up that uh, very interesting 2020. Now, best wishes for you guys in this new year. And this new season for the Arizona Coyotes, which just started just this past weekend. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rob Leonio. We got James Reeve and Carl Pavlik in on in today's episode. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, doing great. It was a nice win yesterday. Maybe celebrated a little bit too much, so having a fun kind of morning. Oh, I know that. I, I I know those kind of mornings. I've uh, well, personally, I'm just really tired. I've been I was up pretty late last uh, th- that last night as well. Got a good amount of coffee, doing what I can to stay awake and you know get work going. But let's talk about that weekend uh, because the uh, the opening weekend with the uh, the uh, San Jose Sharks of Scottsdale um, was a little bit of back and forth battle. Game one, guys, was probably not in the uh, I mean, it, not the result that you wanted for the Coyotes, but it was the, uh, I mean, probably a lot of very promising. It was a promising game on that in the first and on that first one, and then the second one was like, well, they bounced back pretty easily. Yeah, I will say like the first game, it was really mostly the first period where the team looked just super rusty, uh, and then afterwards, like they showed that they were ready for this and then yesterday's game like it wasn't even a question the coyotes were the better team uh for 60 minutes which is great to see especially for this team where they like either can't finish a period correctly or they don't start a period correctly um sure the sharks had the first goal but it was nice to see a more consistent effort especially so soon yeah for sure i mean the fight back in game one against the Sharks was amazing. It was it was brilliant to see the team um, push it all the way to the shootout, although they couldn't finish it in the end. Still picked up a point, and I think that really helped uh, boost confidence and morale heading into the game two. And yeah, they just came out and looked uh, a lot a lot more ready to take on the Sharks in that one. How about some of the player performances too? I I think. Really, uh, two main players really come to mind. One, Connor Garland, and two, Phil Kessel. Both of them had pretty good weekends, uh, and it, it obviously the stats show for it, and I, it looks like they're going to have some, hopefully, pr- pretty promising seasons. Yeah, it was one of the things that I was tweeting about a lot yesterday. Phil Kessel didn't have consecutive games where he scored, at all last season. Um, He had three games where he had two goals. It's the second game of the season. He already has three goals. It is great. Um, Seeing him show up like that is is phenomenal. Uh, But we also saw him like back checking and like really doing like all the like more responsible things that you don't necessarily see. Like the team was up by a couple goals and Phil Castle was rushing back to get the puck. I, I did not think I would be seeing that, especially this early in the season. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have, have a post gone up on um, Fifer Howling about how 
the Coyotes now might finally be getting or seeing the Kessel that they actually traded for. Um, he hasn't always been the best defensive sort of player. Uh, seeing him back check uh, yesterday was uh, fantastic. Seeing him put in an effort in all areas of the game. But just seeing him hit the back of the net, getting in the right positions, you know, trying different things to to really like score goals is what Kessel has been known for throughout his career. He's been so consistent at that. And last season really was just this massive blip on his radar. It seems like hopefully now with the way that he started the season, at least if he can continue to put in performances, even close to this um, 70% of the time, then he'll have a much better season this time around than last year. Yeah. We don't need yeah, Kessel to... Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, and I do want to talk about Garland too, because Connor Garland, he had what was like in a goal goal and assist in that first game, and I trying to... What did he had a, a goal in the in the second game. Um, Like, he is one of those guys who I think, at, like, every year he's going to continue to get better, and um, this is the thing that I talked about in a pre, in, an, in another podcast, and that's something I'll just continue to talk about all season long, on literally any channel I can get, and anyone who ever knows me who's been fo- following my Roadrunners coverage knows I love Connor Garland, and that dude's I, th- I think that dude's phenomenal, but seeing him continue to become better every single year is showing so much promise for this Coyotes team, who I think is gonna is you know right there on the verge of being a really good team um craig morgan um on his site wrote about connor garland wanting to be more of a facilitator this um season which if you watch his last couple in the nhl that's definitely a criticism you could make he's he was scoring the goals he was going to the dirty areas he was paying the physical price to get that but he wasn't necessarily setting up his line for anything else. Um, and that's fine. There are some goal scorers, um, and they're not going to get those kind of setups. They're not going to have high assists. But he is making a much better effort at doing that this season. Um, his assist on the the Keller goal was great. Uh, his assist on the uh, Barrett Hayton goal, his first of the season, was just like Hayton – alone on the ice at the top of the face-off circles and Garland just sees him there like he's behind the net he's got the puck it gets it right to him and we get a goal I, I have a feeling that like maybe last season maybe the season before he would have tried to like you know wrap around jam that puck in but now either he's more comfortable or he's just like actively being like hey where's my line at what where can I get it and it could also be that he's like I think with he, Nick Schmaltz and uh, Barrett Hayton this year. He's got much better like teammates to work with. I think his uh, the uh, the most lethal like like the most like crazy play I saw from him over the weekend was uh, the assist that he gave, the, the feeder pass to Phil Kessel and to tie the game with that three seconds left. I didn't honestly. I don't know how he saw that. Like that was like. Like that was like threading the needle, seeing Phil Kessel available right there, and I was like, "Dude, like, you are something else." Yeah, 
his awareness is excellent. And I mean, we've already spoken about Garland um, together before about his like his attitude and his work ethic and his like determination to do things on the ice um, regularly, stripping players, not giving the puck away easily, um, and like a lot of people have been talking about how this could really be a proper breakout season for Garland because he's already had like a 22 goal season last year. He's already kind of had that quote, quote uh, breakout in quotes um, sort of season. But this year over the past two games, he's already averaging like four minutes more per, per game on the ice. If he's playing alongside the likes of Schmaltz and Hayton, that, gives the Coyotes like a really nice offensive minded um, line. And I could see Garland putting up quite a few points this season and really earning himself that long-term deal that we all know is coming at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. I think if, uh, if Chaco was around, he would already have that kind of long-term deal. He would have got like something similar to what Dvorak got or what Schmaltz got. Um it is still very early, um, and the Sharks are not the best team. So, like, I'm not sure They're he's not. going to be as uh, successful against, say, Vegas, who is going to be next week, or Colorado. Like, Garland wasn't really there for the playoff series, but then again, no one was. And there's a reason we're always talking about, like, playoff experience. Like, Keller, Chikrin... Garland, these are all players who kind of like disappeared a little. Uh, Keller a little bit less so. Uh, but that was their first time. I, I'm really curious to see if the Coyotes can make it back, what Garland's second time um, in the playoffs is going to look like. Is he going to have that kind of same adjustment period? Is he going to be shut down? Or is the team going to have to play the Colorado Avalanche? Um, we don't know. And Which is very it's likely. very exciting. It's also nightmare fuel yeah. when you look at the result that Colorado put up against yeah, I mean, St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another. Uh, you, you, uh, you guys see the tweet of uh, the uh, Coyotes trying to console the uh, the Blues <laughs> after yeah. after that score. That score he's like, oh, we feel your pain. That was that was great. I love that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the coyote, the the coyotes know what it's like to get absolutely stomped on by the the avalanche, and the avalanche just looks well, so, like something else this year. It's not even fair. The like 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 I was posting on uh like on you know I think in our Slack as well as other things. It's like the it's like the Colorado Avalanche right now, or like you're picking the All Stars against an AHL team in the NHL video game. Like it's not fair. Yeah, it's, that's, that's nuts. Especially the St. Louis Blues. Like, I was expecting them to put up more of an effort. Um, I think they came back and won that second game, though. Um, but, but yeah, that's scary. I don't want to play the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I do think that uh, Clayton Keller has also been really good to start off. I'm really liking him with uh, Tyler Pitlick and uh, Derek Broussard. Yeah, I think that Brassard, um, his experience, his sort of leadership, I think will help Keller quite a lot. Brassard, um, I mean, he's older, 
now. He's not the player he used to be, but I mean, he still put up decent numbers in his final year. Uh, I think it was with the Islanders last season. And Brassard's looked good. I mean, was it was it Brassard that won the face-off that Chikrin absolutely bombed into the net in the game yesterday? Like, you've got a guy that can win in the face-off and be more of a sort of like kind of supporting role to Keller, who really needs to just play with confidence and kind of like play his game. And I think Brassard is a, is an ideal line mate for him in that situation. And then you've got Pitlick, who is more of a physical sort of presence. So he's kind of able to protect Keller a little bit, do a bit of the dirty work, like battling for pucks on the edge and help help set Keller up when they get into like the offensive zone. Broussard won that faceoff, and then uh, I do like seeing Pitlick just going around in the offensive zone. He's just like everywhere. Uh, he's not even like doing the what I think a lot of people expected him to do and be like that super physical type. Um, like looking at him, I don't envision him like throwing down the gloves if someone like looks at Keller the wrong way. Like the with the old school like eighties kind of idea of that heavy guy on your line, but it's a it's a good matchup so far. Keller seems to be doing really good with it. He's got I think. Two goals, one assist. Um, it, it's funny that the Coyotes have like two really effective lines somehow. Again, this is like the Sharks, so who knows what it's going to be like for like real teams. But if they can keep going and like have consistency, I think that's going to be something that a lot of fans just haven't really seen too often. We're used to like constant shuffling and trying to figure out where we can put someone. Uh, I, I don't even know how many people were tried on the wing with Keller last season. Like Lawson Kraus, Nick Schmaltz, I'm sure Hayton had some time there, Derek Stepan, Carl Soderberg. Like if he could find people who are actually gonna be with him and he can like kind of develop that chemistry in a way they still hasn't had the chance to do, Keller's gonna have a phenomenal season. Yeah, and I think um I mean, we, we've given Rick Tockett quite a lot of stick about like his overall style and his system and things like that. But I feel like the players that have been added to the team this offseason, such as Pitlick, fit that style and can almost kind of be quite complementary to players like Keller, who probably don't necessarily fit the mould of like the, the physical, gritty, grinding out sort of like puck battles and stuff like that. But when you've got guys that are comfortable in that system and playing that sort of role, um, then I think it can really be quite facilitating for Kessel, uh, for Keller, sorry. Um, I mean, especially if, if, if you have he's one guy on space. that line, if you have one guy on that line on, on a line that has that physical, that has that enough, that, that physicality, if you have one power forward or one grinder or whatever on a, on a line, that's enough. That would that's enough to to really make a difference, and then you know you're and then you have your playmakers who can re, um you know like Keller who can who who can really uh, benefit from having that guy next to them to help clear the ice and and you know be so they're able to make the plays. And uh, I heard on a, another podcast someone say that putting Keller with Broussard and 
uh, Pitlick is going to make Keller need to shoot more. And that is, like, it's two games. We're already seeing Clayton Keller, like, not afraid to be like, all right, I got the puck, I'm going to make the shot. I think in the past, like, if you put him on the line with, like, Connor Garland or Phil Kessel, he's going to, like, see if he can get them open and then pass it over. Now he's like, you know, nothing wrong with Broussard or Pitlick. And like I said, I really like them together. But they're not going to be the ones who are doing, like, that, you know, massive shot. He can maybe get, like, a redirection off of them. But he's not – he's going to have to play his game differently. And it seems to be working so far. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, with Keller – he was a high draft pick for the Coyotes and he was brought in and he was kind of like labeled as like the guy that the Coyotes like needed to have. He was going to be the guy and playing with players such as Brassard and Pitlick, it kind of forces him to be that at least for his line. He needs to be the one that is going to take the offensive opportunities, the chances to, to smash that puck towards the goal. Like, um, if he's playing with guys like Kessel and um, even like Schmaltz, he probably can t- can feel like he can take a backseat because those guys will also take shots. But as you say, like p- partnering with guys that aren't necessarily going to try that as much really forces him to be what the Coyotes need him to be. And he, he is a playmaker, but he can score goals. Like, his first season, he had 23. Like, it took a, a fairly big drop. Um, he had a sophomore slump. Last season, he had 17. If the season hadn't been cut short, he probably would have hit 20. Um, like, we saw in the past players like Mikel Bodker go his entire time in Arizona not hitting the 20-goal mark. Um and Keller probably could have hit it twice already. Um, and honestly, like if he keeps up a, a decent pace, he may hit 20 in a shortened season, and that would be phenomenal. Uh, I don't really expect any Coyotes player to hit 20 this year just because there's only 56 games. Um, what I, the equivalent is, like I think, 16 or 17. It's been a while since I've done the math. Um, but I don't know. Two goals and an assist in two games is, is a phenomenal start for a player who really needed to show this year that he is worth the contract that he has. Uh, I saw people like put forth like, so are they going to like expose him in the Seattle draft? And it's like, what are you talking about? No, don't do that. I know he's got a contract. He's still really young. Uh He's going to develop, and he's developing the right ways, and it's great to see. Yeah, that contract's been a big talking point. I mean, when it was signed, I was quite surprised at how high it was, given his, you know, what he had proved at that point. Um, I thought Were Keller was really going to get more of a... I mean... <laughs> With regards to Chaker, we're, we're, talk, no. we're talking about yeah, we're talking about Chaker here. Like. Ch- yeah, with regards to Chaker, no, I thought that Keller was actually going to go for more like a bridge deal, maybe a two or three years, prove me sort of thing, and then get some big bucks later. I guess like before Chaker left, he must have been delighted that he managed to get his deal locked up like that. <laughs> uh, I I actually like the Chaker deals, um, and I I consider the big ones. 
Because this is definitely a big talking point. Anytime you're hearing someone talk about the Coyotes, they're talking about the John Chicken deals. Uh, Christian Dvorak, Jacob Chikrin, Nick Schmoltz, and Clayton Keller all signed long-term deals with a fair amount of money. Um, Keller definitely hasn't earned his yet, but I think this is the first year that the contract starts, so I'm fine with that. Um, Christian Dvorak quietly is just a great player, and no one ever talks about that deal anymore. Um, oh, I mean, you look at Dvorak's deal and Chikrin's deals, and they've got to be some of the nicest contracts in the whole league. Dvorak, oh, yeah. I absolutely love, like, face-off phenomenon. And then you look at Chikrin, and Chikrin, finally, when he's healthy, is just fantastic. Chikrin is about to be our best defenseman, and he, oh my god, I loved him the past two games. Like, he is just shooting the puck any chance he gets. And he's not necessarily hitting the net every time, but I like that willingness to just be like, no, I'm going to get this one. Uh, The team is selfish in the right way this season, and I'm loving it. Um, Because they're not looking for an extra pass. They're like, nope, it's my responsibility. I have the puck. And Jacob Chikrin is kind of like the best case um, in this shortened time. And he's got that great contract. Uh, And then going back to the last one, Schmaltz had a pretty good deal too. Um, He, I'm liking him this year. I've always kind of liked him. He has his own health concerns. But the Chikachan contracts aren't that bad. And I'm kind of tired of people saying that they are. It's not necessarily that they're bad. It's just that, like, you look at some of them, you're just like, huh, I wonder why that was the case. In, in, like, yeah, then you look at, like, like, I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like, you look at, you, you, you look at it in that, and then, I mean, look at it now, you're just, you're, there are many cases you're just like, well, <laughs> Coyote's lucked out. Um, but they're not really lucked out, but, but like, like, I guess, or maybe, they, maybe they're right. I don't know. What do you go ahead? Well, I was just gonna say, like the worst case example for a show me deal is like we look at PK Subban years back, immediately wins a Norris Trophy after like signing a bridge deal. And it's like okay, now you gotta pay him a lot, and you gotta give him a lot of term. This Jacob really was like, all right, we're gonna give you term, and like four years into that term, the money you're making is going to be nothing, and I. Th- think that that is going to be the case. Um, we're already seeing it with Chikrin and, and Dvorak. So I like that gamble, and I'm kind of hoping teams kind of switch away from that. Bridge deals are terrible. Um, like, anything involving RFAs, like, it's just not great deals. You're underpaying your your player now, and then you're going to overpay him once uh, the deal's over. And it's just stupid. Like you look at the Austin Matthews deal where he's didn't sign a bridge deal. He, Toronto wasn't like doing that kind of crap for the entire like buildup. I hate bridge deals and I'm glad to see that they're starting to go away. Yeah. You look at the, the four deals that we were talking about, Schmaltz, Dvorak, Chikrin and Clay and Keller, and their money is actually pretty even um, across all of their deals. Um, the majority of them um, go up towards the end. Keller's is a bit interesting. It kind of has like an up year and then a down year and then an up year and a down year, sort of like 
throughout their deals. So money-wise, like they're getting paid good amounts, but the Coyotes have managed to kind of spread that out in in a good way. Uh, I know there's some teams, probably the the teams that have more, let's say, financial uh, clout or depth. Um, are able to kind of just like absolutely front load some deals like Toronto who pay all their stars pretty much within the first two years of their deal. And then the last like, I don't know, five years, they earn like nothing because they've already got all their money. But for the Coyotes, I think they've been quite smart and kind of spread it out across term so that the players remain happy, but it keeps it keeps the, the cap hit lower. Um, I feel like I I was looking at the the San Jose contracts before the second game um, oh, and boy. you have Eric Carlson, Brent Burns and Mark Edward Vlasic uh, all signed for five plus years at ridiculous money um, Carlson is the youngest too. at 30 uh, Burns is 35 and he has five years left on a deal that's giving him an average of eight million. Vlasic is 33 and six years left. Like, ah, uh, those are those are not great contracts. And and I think that the Coyotes really avoided it, avoided doing anything like that by just signing these longer deals when the guys are young. And then if they need to, hey, when Nick Schmaltz's deal is up. You can sign him to another long-term contract, and he's probably going to be, you know, good enough at the end of that deal. You're not going to have to worry about him retiring during the contract. Um, I I have a feeling that, like, four years from now, we're going to look at a lot of things Jacob was doing and be like, okay, there's a lot of good things that were happening here. Um, Maybe it didn't have enough support. Maybe it didn't have the right coach for the system. But there was, he wasn't incompetent. Let me just say that. No, no. I mean, the I one mean... thing, the, I said the one thing I'll say about, you know, the whole difference and the, the, the difference in comparing contracts is, you know, the, the Coyotes, I say more, they, it's like them necessarily lucking out of not getting superstars. They got good hockey players, but none of them necessarily like, you know, you know, like Norris Trophy winning defensemen or, you know, Hart Trophy, Rocket Richard Trophy, guys who are just going to always try to chase for it every year. You know, guys like Toronto, guys like San Jose, whatever, they that they did that. And they did that for a reason. And then they're like, oh, yeah, well, because you, because you have that much value, we have to give you that much money. Coyotes got lucked out and, like, kind of getting players who – like they, you know, they developed over time, and yeah, like what you were saying, Kyle, is because of that, because they didn't have they didn't have the superstars, they didn't have to worry about those big, massive contracts. And right now, that's helping them a lot because they were able to spread the wealth. Yeah, yeah, and you got to look at like Toronto and the media in Toronto in particular, and every week there's a headline about like, is this player getting paid too much? I mean. There was there was not. I mean, obviously, the off season is dead for content, and people literally make up anything to to get reads and things like that. But there was literally oh, yeah, a course. debate that started happening about whether or not John Tavares was worth his contract for Toronto, and it literally Dude, blew up. Almost twelve million a year. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's dead on eleven mil. 
he scored 47 goals in his first season in Toronto. Had a bit of a dip last year, but had like a broken hand at one point. Uh, is the captain of the team. Um, he's got five points in three games this season. Still scored 26 goals in 63 games last year. Like, he's no bum. And people are like, oh, nah, he's, is, is John Tavares the, the worst on the Leafs? And people are like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I'm just waiting for Mitch Marner to take over that and just perennially be like, we're going to have five articles this year complaining about Mitch Marner's contract until he uh, leaves the team. Uh, oh, I mean, that is definitely a story that runs often as well. And the one, one of the, the most popular um, pe- things people have done recently because of Marner's contract is suggest that the Leafs trade Marner for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Hmm. Uh, Toronto media, so, I mean, Toronto hockey media is 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 toxic. I, I I I will not shy away from saying that. I read some of the stuff they post, and I'm just like, good God, you guys are freaking ridiculous. I mean, it's if nuts. we all saw what happened with the the Philadelphia player, I, I forget his name right oh, now. Oh, Jake Voracek just... versus uh, whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, and See, they, they like I went back and found the tweets, and they're like, "Yep, this is him." Like constantly being like, "Here's how we need to get rid of the or make the team better. Get rid of Warchick," and he just calls him out on it. And I, it seems like every major that. market has one of those guys. So like yeah. Philly has that guy again. I don't remember his name. Toronto has uh, what is his name? Steve, uh, Steve Simmons. Simmons. Oh, yeah, and then uh, uh, New York has Larry Brooks, and just a bunch Colorado of these guys who just. Yeah, they just yeah, love to, they just love to stir shit, and you know, part part of me like I'm just like part of me is like okay, you know, you know, part it, part of their job is to write. Maybe they they're you know, they're trying to be more critical and whatever, but that's fine. But sometimes to to an extent, I read some of their stuff and I'm like, good God, guys, like you're trying to be, you're like, you're like, like upset, like like 12 year old fans who just are like are just not happy because your team's doing well or whatever not doing well or whatever C- come on like just f- freaking and obviously it hit it, it, they, it annoys the hell out of the players um you see the players lash out at these guys all the time oh yeah i mean um... sometimes and, and as a member of media too i will say i've never gotten lashed out by a coach or a player or anything like that but uh, I did get, I, I mean, I got called out at one point, not because of something I wrote, but because of a question I asked, you know, about uh, something. And, and just like, you know, I don't want to get in trouble for that shit. Don't even ask me that, you know. And like, they remembered me after that. They kind of stopped, stopped like, you know, uh, being a lot more specific with their answers with me because they know that if they're specific with their answers with me, I will write, I will write it. But I'm not that I'm not I don't, I don't try to be one of those guys, um, nor do I ever want like I don't ever want to be one of those guys that get lashed out by reporters. I want to be well respected, but I want I want to have a good relationship with them that they can actually feel comfortable telling me stuff. Yeah, yeah and uh, it last week uh, was the I think it was the sixth year anniversary of Phil Kessel calling out um, a guy in the Toronto Toronto media. Um, I think. It was Chuck, who asked who asked him point blank, "Are you a difficult guy to work with in the oh. dressing room after a loss?" 
and Petal called I, I, him an idiot and all this stuff. And even last season, after the whole Austin Matthews, um, what was it, testing positive for COVID, and then Steve Simmons was the one that leaked that and reported that, even though like he had obtained like Matthews's confidential like medical records. Matthews himself then called him out and was just like a bit disappointed that's that a I HIPAA have to violation. Ask a question from you. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, no, it wouldn't be a HIPAA violation for him to do it just because HIPAA like is specifically for hospitals. So and also it's whoever leaked the information to Simmons yeah would be in violation so simmons was yeah, literally whoever, like well, yeah. i've done nothing wrong i i just wanted to report it yeah there's definitely um because when you when you're in media um even media like us where we're not the same professional level you need to be critical of players but you need to do valid criticism um and sometimes people aren't going to like that and it's just going to be like but you still did the right thing and like call you out like there are players that I don't like, and I'm not gonna say specific things about them. Like you could say it, but it just makes you like a jerk and makes no one want to work with you. Um, and I think it'd be it'd be nice if players like push back at that more. It's hockey, so like we don't like players to say anything. Um, like we say we do. I mean, but if they actually start doing things, like people get very angry very quickly. But here's a here is a argument. Here is an argument for kind of trying to stir shit. And I'm not saying I again. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not advocating for it. But here's an argument for it. If you've ever worked in professional hockey media, you know how hard it is to get real answers out of these guys because they're like the robotic cliche. We got to get putts deep. We got to play to our identity. We got to get pucks in the net. Yada yada yada. If you stir shit. They will lash out and they'll start saying actual shit, like, like, like about the whatever players, like, oh no, we're like fucking this and whatever, and they don't, they really don't care. At that yeah, point. yeah, mean, but that's like Sun Tzu level like manipulation where you're like, all right, I gotta attack my enemy. I'm gonna make him angry and he's gonna say stupid stuff, uh, and that's like, I get that that can get like some good quotes, but I don't think that's helpful for like long-term relationships between anyone you it's always not. know if but you've got a good relationship with a player though is if they're gonna like tell you something off the record but they're willing to literally like spill their guts about it yeah so like the, see there and there's the argument there's the other argument now you know if you have a good enough relationship with them you know a good enough rapport then you then you like heck some of these reporters have these players' cell phone numbers and they'll text them and like the players will text them and it's like, hey, this is going on. Like that's the, that's the kind of rapport you want to have. Yeah. The article I talked about earlier where Connor Garland was saying that he wanted to be a better facilitator this year is probably more interesting and more relevant and helps me as a fan better than anything that the Philadelphia writer wrote about Borchek. Because, like, at that point, anytime I read anything, I'm like, okay, this guy's got, like, a weird grudge or anything. I have to take it with a grain of salt. But if it's, like, a player being like, no, this is, like, a hole in my game. I'm not giving you a cliche answer about getting pucks deep. I need to do X, Y, and Z. 
And Garland's been great for that. Like he is pretty open about being like, hey, I need to reinvent my game in the AHL. This is how I did it. Uh, I was this type of player in juniors. I had to become this type of player to be a professional. And that stuff's great. And you're not going to get that by being like, so Connor, can you tell me about that crappy year you had in the Tucson Roadrunners back in 2018 or whatever his rookie season was there? Like, He'll give you an answer. It'll probably be irritating if you ask that question, but it's not going to be necessarily as deep, or it's definitely not going to be as deep unless he's very oh, no. eloquent while angry. I have met people who can get very angry and give you very specific reasons why, and those are very interesting people, uh, but they're the exception, not the rule. Yeah, pretty much. Um, let's go ahead and start moving on and talk about our, uh, what's coming up this week and maybe some other season predictions. But this week, this next seven days, we got Vegas, 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 and guess what? Vegas. Four straight games against Vegas. This is going to be fun, guys. going to be rolling the dice. going to be rolling the dice this week. Yeah, that's it's not going to be fun seeing Vegas that much. Um, they are by the end, you guys team. are going to hate them as much as I do. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I feel like by the end of those four games, they're all going to hate each other, like regardless. Because I mean, playing the same team four games in a row in the space of a week—if something kicks off in the first game, that's going to linger, and by the end of it, they're oh, literally yeah. just going to be like, "Oh, oh yeah, punch your face in." <laughs> Okay. Yeah. The thing I, I'm not looking forward to with Vegas, and there's a lot, uh, it's their goaltending. They have Marc Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard, and they're like, they've already split starts, and both of them won. And the goals that were allowed are like, uh, I, I am not very excited. This is going to be a very early, very big test for the Coyotes. Can they play like they did against. Not to- the Sharks against a better team. Yeah, not to mention they bolstered they, they they bolstered up their team. Yeah, they lost they lost a few guys. They had to get rid of you know I think they what they had to get rid of like Pacioretty and like a couple others or whatever. But like you know they picked up uh, picking up Petrangelo over the off season. So they uh, they still have Pacioretty. Um, they still have Patrick Reddy, that's right. But it was, uh, who was it that, yeah. oh, Stastny. Getting rid of Stastny. Stastny, um, yeah, he went to the Jets. And um, yeah, Schmidt and England. And, and, and Schmidt and England. England retired. I know that one. But, you know, but, you know, picking up freaking Alex Petrangelo, like, yeah. Like, you know, how they were able to do that, I'm, you know, that's, that, that, that still goes beyond me. I don't see how these teams keep doing Vegas favors like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like it's, you had a guy like they lost Nate Schmidt and Derek Engeland on their blue line, and then they add Peter Angelo. And it's literally just like, yeah, that's if that was a trade, then that would be considered an absolute fleecing. If that was a trade in an NHL video game, they would like kibosh it. It'd be like, nope, we can't do that. That is not allowed. Because that is. Yeah, the NHL video game would be something. like, yeah, yeah right. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Um, how Vegas continues to add these talent and become a better team. 
and teams are letting it happen. Like other teams are just, just like, oh, that's right. Vegas is existing. It's like, well, they, I it's like say, they forget about them. Every- it's crazy. Yeah. Go ahead. Which is like, I'm really curious what's going to be happening with Seattle. If, if nothing else, like the world is really crazy right now. And like seasons of hockey are being very ridiculous. I think a lot of people are going to forget that Seattle exists. Like there's going to be like one guy for every team. It's like, we should probably be like doing a meeting about the expansion draft, right? And they're like, what are you talking about? We have five games next week. We'll get to that later. And they're going to get caught flat-footed. That's that's my early Seattle prediction with this weird season. Although I do think teams will be a lot more prepared for this expansion draft than the last. True. Um, just because like, they know not they, – they, they, they'll pay more attention to what teams – to expose it was like, well, we realized that we essentially gave Vegas a Stanley Cup team, so we're not going to give the we're not going to give the same benefit to Seattle. Was it Florida who gave them a twenty goal score? Yeah, Marshall. Florida right. gave them Marshall so and Riley Smith. They traded him. Florida. They traded they, Florida traded them Marshall so to say, hey, we'll give you Marshall so right now. If you pick up Riley Smith on the expansion draft, like why, why would you do that? I mean, you take that deal 100% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're Vegas. Yeah, of course you do. Uh, I mean, we did I, Jason uh, Demers from Florida for like what? Um, was it McCann? Yes. Or McGinn, was, sorry. Yeah, was McGinn. McCann or McGinn or something like that. Nate McGinn, I think I want to say. Like a non-entity, like a fourth-line player for a – he became our second-pairing defenseman or first-pairing defenseman with Oliver ekman Larson. Florida is just bad, and their badness uh, lets other teams be good, and it's not fair. Yeah, I mean, McGinn, God, he played two games in the AHL last year. He's not even in the NHL anymore, and – <laughs> and Florida even retained like five hundred grand of his of Demir's salary as well. Oh, great! So they're gonna give like someone ridiculous to Seattle. Um, given the rumors, it may be Keith Yandel. Although I th- believe he has a no movement clause, so they're probably gonna want to get him out of there sooner. Yeah, yeah. and you've also got to like you got to look at Pittsburgh and what Jim Rutherford's doing. I mean. Matheson and Cody CC apparently tonight are sitting in the press box and they are both players that uh, were traded for, I'm pretty sure, like, or at least signed or signed in free agency, at least like Rutherford went out and got these guys actively got these guys, signed them to yes. like, I mean, Matheson signed to like nearly $5 million and like for for the next i don't know five six years and he's sitting in the press box like there there's going to be teams that like hope hope that uh someone like seattle can take those off their hands but i feel like they're going to have to do something to make a bit like what florida did to make a player be taken they might have to It'll offer be- something 
they have to offer another player and then like, all right, give us a draft pick and then we'll give you this player just so you can, you know, be more contentious. And and then Seattle becomes a playoff team because Gerard Gallant is, ends up becoming their head coach again, just like what happened with Vegas and then takes him to the Stanley Cup final again. It's it's like clockwork. At least we're leaving the Pacific. Uh, I've never been happy about that, except for like up until the World Juniors where I was like, hmm. So LA's going to be getting good in a couple of years. Anaheim's getting good in a couple of years. We got Vegas and Seattle's somehow going to be a Stanley Cup winning team their first year. Let's just leave. Uh, let's go. Yeah, the, uh, the Pacific's going to be lethal. What's yeah, what's crazy. Chicago going to be like? I'm sure they have just a bunch of terrible contracts left over and players that are going to be declining. F- fine. Well, we'll they're still running off the coattails of uh, – of Taze and Kane's contract, which still has like what, like five years left? <laughs> it was like what a little twelve-year contract. Do you remember when the NHL was just like, yeah, you could sign fifteen-year deals? Uh, yeah, we don't like, care. Why? Crazy time. Crazy time. Those con. Those were weird. I mean, Parise so, I mean, still has those. Like, actually, Taze and they're... Kane both both expire in two years. Yeah, oh, so I'm actually surprised at how not crazy those are. They're actually going to come to the end. But they have they they're both making what eight million a year. Kane's on uh, ten and a right? half, and Taves is on um the same ten and a half. So twenty one. So ten and a half. Nine. They're both making that much money. Kane, I get it, but Taves, come on. He was I mean, the best hockey player in the world in a lot of people's mind for a very long time. So it it makes sense. I don't necessarily agree that he was better than Sidney Crosby, but honestly, I find the discussion about who is the one best hockey player to be just rather tiring because there's a lot of great things that you can be a hockey player at. And I don't really want to be like, well, Connor McDavid is the best at X, Y, and Z, and Nathan McKinnon is the best at A, B, and C. So I'm going to quantifiably say that one of them is better. Well, this see, this like the way I always put who's a better player and stuff like that. And like this is mainly for like historic players, but you know, there's a way you can apply it to modern players is. Uh, how they stack up uh, specifically within a position group, you know, as like, so like as a winger, for example, is, you know, player X significantly better than all the other wingers, but versus the center who's like that you're comparing with, he's only slightly better than other centers. Like it's, that's kind of like how I kind of would stack it up. Obviously it's very different and also play style. Are you a playmaker? Are you a sniper? Whatever how they stack up with those position groups and play styles specifically. And like, I, I really go into, into, into the intricate game. Ah, I'm not even going to try to say that right now. It's too early in the morning for me right now. Um, at the time of this recording, I'm not like, anyways, I'm not getting into that. Um, cause that's a l- way too much. It looks like Connor Murphy's wearing an A this year. That's a uh, interesting. Honestly, didn't expect, when we traded uh, him for um, Jarmelson, I wasn't actually sure how long he was going to last in, in Chicago, but 
It's nice to see a good uh, former Coyote, you know, living the dream, getting wearing an A for Chicago. What a great yeah, trade yeah. for the Coyotes, though, right? Oh, absolutely. Jalmerson was a huge pickup for them, and it was and 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 ended up really working out for them. So, yeah. plus um, it like but, really made OEL happy. Um, which oh yeah, I'm fine with our star defenseman slash captain being happy. It's apparently yeah, a, a novel thought to some people. Chemistry yeah, and hap- and player happiness is huge. So, but oh yeah, I mean. That. Like I was saying earlier about my, the piece that I did on Kessel, like he was hurt for most of last year, and you could see that he was not like he was not in the right frame of mind um, to put up the numbers that he has generally become accustomed to throughout his career. And the start of this season, he just looks so much happier, so much more comfortable, and you're seeing the results. Like just the Coyotes in general just look to be a bit more like like infused and have a bit more like happiness and contentness and energy about them so far this this season. So that brings us back to this uh this upcoming series against Vegas is how much of that energy will help them in this series. Obviously, you know, it's going to be hard to gauge because we're talking about the Coyotes against arguably right now the best hockey team in the NHL. So I mean, with the exception of Colorado, um, yeah. which they're they're on another on another level of God mode, but Vegas is also is like right up next to them. So like, what are we expecting from this series, really? Because like, what kind of energy level are we going to see from the Coyotes? Are they going to be? Uh, are they going to go in with that mindset of you know high energy, you know, you know, and be in you know and look that way on the ice or are they going to kind of be uh really i don't know take a step back and look as afraid as they were when they played colorado in the playoffs i I hope they go like it is in a lot of ways a very different team just like the small additions that we have the pitlock broussard um I can see them going in with some energy. They're going to need it, uh, both to beat, like you said, one of the best teams in the NHL right now, but also just phenomenal goaltending. Uh, the big question all through the past couple of years was who's going to score on the team? And sure, like we got eight goals so far, but those were against Martin Jones. We're not talking about – he's now Marc-Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard. And oh, I would not, not even be surprised. <laughs> yeah. I would not be surprised if I, I, Vegas I, I, is comfortable swapping those two out too. So either way, yeah, you're not gonna have an off night. Speaking of which, did you did you see the uh, the coaches poll? I talked talked about this on on my other podcast. The coaches poll on on uh, the uh, every single starting goaltender in the league ranked from one to thirty one. You know where Martin Jones was placed? 29. 25. Oh, wow. He's at 29. He's at 29. Um, that's not good. Um, so, yes, it's going to be much different going up against, you know, Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury, both phenomenal goaltenders. I don't get – I honestly don't understand how they would have retained both of them. That's 
also beyond me. Um, I mean, I don't feel like that's going to work long term, uh, especially not, given uh, the image that Marc Andre Fleury's agent tweeted out uh, during the postseason of his oh client with a giant sword in his back. With, um, with the sword saying Dembor on it. Yes, and just so much blood. Like I'm looking at, I looked it up because I needed to reference it, and I was like. You know, you could have just not had all the blood on the blade, and it, it would have been fine. Um, but but yeah, I think Vegas is able to just be like, look, it, it only needs to work for one season, and then next year it's not going to be weird, so we can probably go with like just Robin Leonard. Um, They'll probably adjust some Flurry's still got another season. Flurry's still got another year <sighs> after this. They'll let, they'll, they'll Does he have a new clause or? If anything, he can wave it and just like, well, if you want to start, if you want a starting job, Seattle's right there for you. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine if Marc Andre Fleury just becomes that guy who goes to expansion teams and makes them instantly like credible? Like that became his. I mean, that would make things fun to watch. <laughs> Be like Marc Andre Fleury. He's won a couple of Stanley Cups. He's also just the goalie you get when you're an expansion team. That will be like his hall. Congratulations of fame for joining the NHL. Here's Mark Andre Fleury as a gift. <laughs> Ten years from now, when Houston gets an expansion team, they're like, um, "Who's going to be our GM?" Mark Andre Fleury, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Gerard and Gallant then, uh, as the head coach. And Gerard Gallant as the head coach. Yep, they go. That has to go hand in hand. But, but yeah, uh, this be happy now. It, if the team is successful, and by successful I say if they win half the games, uh, then also be happy. I would not be surprised though if if they win like so, one of the next four. So let's say let's let's put it this way in terms of points. So we're talking about a maximum possible of eight points in these upcoming series against Vegas. What would you be happy with? About uh, three? I'd be happy with three. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's what, like three overtime losses or a win and an overtime loss? Yeah, I can see it. I, I, that seems definitely possible. Um, and, yeah. then, and like That's I said, amazing. too, on my other... Like, like I was saying on the other podcast, um, that... Uh, this Coyotes team is a lot of is a lot more promising. Obviously, it sucks for them to be in you know the uh, the division of death, the Honda division, because they have the best two teams in the league. But I mean, I mean, it helps when they got uh, L.A., Anaheim, Minnesota, and San Jose to kind of help bolster them a little bit. Yeah. So. It'll be interesting to see if they can match up better against the Minnesota Wild this year. I think if that happens, like, then we can probably just slot them in for that spot. If we're really talking about that number four spot, because we we would know the top three spots in the uh, in in the Honda division are are locked up. Actually, Um, like you know, after that Colorado St. Louis game, maybe they're not. Maybe okay, maybe yeah, maybe not. Maybe St. Louis does not make the playoffs. 
Maybe, but there's still a good like they'll still compete for a playoff spot. Um, but let's say no, no matter what, the top two teams are locked up, and then say three and four are really up for grabs. Um, between St. Louis, Arizona, and Minnesota. Like, three teams spot, fighting for two spots, that's a, that's a pretty good chance for Arizona. Oh, yeah, I, for sure. I do want to make sure that everyone kind of keeps in mind that like this season, especially, you want to minimize the overtime because no matter what, like you're just giving points away. These are these are four point games. Yeah, obviously a win is two points, but you're playing your division all season long. These are four point games because if you can win a game in in regulation, not only do you get two points, but your opponent gets nothing. Like, and that's and again, and you're in the same division. That that kind of you know point difference is huge so letting them get any points in the game is not ideal I, i'm actually kind of curious if we see like goaltenders being pulled earlier um i don't think coaches are necessarily Especially, playing that kind of long game but it's a it's be an interesting strategy i mean if you have a team in which Goaltending isn't your strong suit. I can see that, you know, maybe you know, in like San Jose's case, you know, like they did. Like obviously, they played, you know, absolutely terribly against uh, uh, against Arizona on Saturday. But you know, pulling Martin Jones and like, all right, Devin Dubnik, go ahead and do your thing. Um, but in the case where you have a goaltending tandem, like in you know in uh, Vegas with Leonard and Flurry. Or a goaltending trifecta here uh, over here in Arizona with Kemper, Ranta, and Hill. Like, they can do whatever the hell they want and get away with it. They'll be fine. It's, uh, I still want to know how that's going to work, but that, that trifecta is going to, man, I'm excited to see this as a trifecta because I've usually you don't see three goaltenders on the opening night roster. Usually, just it's almost it's like to my knowledge, it's almost always just been two to have three up there. That's that's something else. I was uh texting my sister because she was asking, like, why why is Hill there? Why aren't they just having to do the taxi squad? I'm like, they're ideally, I would see them do 26 games or 25 games for uh Darcy Kemper, 21 games for Anti Ranta, and then give Hill 10 games. And have that be like yeah. the split between it, and that way, like everyone stays healthy. Hopefully, uh, no one's like overstrained. You're not going to be able to ride like a hot goaltender like people want to do. But I think it's the better thing to do. And I'm really, I would love to see Aiden Hill get ten games this year with no injuries. Just being like, hey, we know you're going to be here probably next year um let's give you some time let's give you some some games and we can get this is a perfect opportunity for him to get the reps yeah yeah i mean he's he's a perfect opportunity for those for those reps in the nhl and it shouldn't and like obviously you don't know exactly the status of ron so his health is not always the best so to have hill up there to help back up in case need like the that's definitely a huge thing to have 
Um, and then, you know, if you look at the depth of the down, down the entire uh, prospect pool for the, the Coyotes and, and goaltending, they shouldn't have a problem, you know, when Tucson starts playing is, you know, I'd, I'd put my faith that for Tucson into, uh, into Ivan uh, Prospetov as that starter. And uh, like Merrick Madsen as number two, like still they look, look how deep that goes for Arizona and goaltending. They don't have a problem. There is like, they're, they're set. Yeah, it's a great situation to be in. There's some teams that don't even have like a top two to really go for. I mean, a lot's been said in this offseason about um <laughs> well, about Chicago. Um they've gone Malcolm oh, yeah. Subban and um Colin Delia as their starters. Oh, yeah, and even like, that's like all, that's Edmonton. Also, that's also sad. Like, even Edmonton, like Oh, I mean I can put a little sm- a little, I mean I I can put a little bit of faith into Mike Smith, but uh, but I remember... there could be some moves happening on the uh, the goalie front because the Leafs have had to put Aaron Dell on waivers, and he uh-huh. is bound to be claimed by somebody. Uh, I mean, yep. Jimmy Howard apparently just retired. So did he? Yeah. Wow. I was Jimmy Howard playing. He played for a while. Uh, up until last year, he played twenty seven games with the Red Wings last year. Which is phenomenal. He had a four. How old did he end up getting? Like he, he like, like how old is he? Because I I remember him playing like in the you know better part of the last decade. Uh, so he was born in thirty six. Yeah. So Jimmy Howard is thirty six. For a goaltender, that's pretty old. Game, yeah, played his first game for the Red Wings in the two thousand five two thousand six season. Played his entire career. With Detroit. That's impressive. Yeah. We're seeing a, a lot of like goaltenders kind of pass away, like or not pass away, but retire out of the game. We also had um, uh, Henrik Lundqvist. Although, well, he's not he retired. Know. He's yeah. just taking this year off. Uh, his surgery went well, which is a good thing. But I mean, there's, uh, but the fact that he's not playing this year because he had health problems is sad and. Um, and the same thing with Corey Crawford and, you know, then I, I think that's, that to me, that's a sadder thing. You know, a guy, a young kid who still has to deal with, uh, you know, post-concussion syndrome his entire life now. Like that's, that's a, that's a real thing that doesn't get talked about. Yeah. And it, uh, yeah, the, as the movie concussion does, it's going to have a big impact on the rest of your life. I guess we could go with like actual doctors and stuff, but I get all my learning from movies. Yeah, I mean, they're like, like, yeah, there's just a lot to it, and I mean, you can just tell the mental health of uh, of Corey Crawford the last few years. Like, you know, he's had a lot to deal with over in, in the last couple seasons, and and uh, again, dealing with concussions and getting all that, it's you know, not easy. Um, so the hemp and that the fact that that has to follow him for the rest of his life, like, I'm not surprised he retired. And like, you know, when it, when it f- first found out he was gone for personal reasons, I was like, yeah, he probably needs mental health time off. You know, everything he's dealing with, I get it. But I, pro- I, I, I applaud him for still trying to play because he loves the game. And then when he retired and I'm like, still, so that's, it's, it's, it really got to him that bad. He really needs to take a step, a step aside. Like I, I understand that. 
Um, and I think that this so, year we're starting to see more like players be like, look, this is my health. This is like the big thing that I need to be concerned about. Like it yeah. was, it was an issue in the, uh, in the bubbles in the postseason. Uh, Matt Calvert, I'm not sure if you guys saw this. Um, he has a pink visor, um, which apparently helps with just light um, in dealing with his post concussion. That is it's interesting that the players are trying to take these steps and I'm kind of curious, like what it's going to be like, uh, like is it, a goes player beyond, going to be... it goes beyond concussions too. Like, oh, yeah. um, obviously like there was the article that was posted last summer about some players post career who have op- opioid addictions Yep. And that's also a big deal. That's a big thing that that, that 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 follows players because, you know, obviously, you know, as much as I love talking about hockey being, oh, these players, they'll, you know, they'll cut their face or they'll have a, they'll take a puck to the, take a puck to the face or whatever. They'll leave to the locker room, you know, get stitched up and, you know, take some or take whatever they get, like, and come right back out and just continue playing. And I lo- and I, I talk about how much I love the players for doing that because it's like, oh, that's the grit of hockey. But then you look at the everything behind it, and you're just like, oh, I kind of feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Jonathan Taves, um, he's dealing with something at the moment as well, and whether that's illness or like the effects of playing or whatever, but he's had to go on LTIR because he's feeling lethargic and isn't able to play at the moment. Like these players, they go through a lot. And I think this, this whole pandemic that's been going on, I think probably really highlighted to a bunch of guys about maybe they should I mean, if it, be thinking more about their health. If this pandemic has affected like the regular person as, as uh, like, like for us, like for someone like me, for example, it's, it's, it's been a shit show. I've hate, like, I've gone through a lot of crap and, uh, seen players go through it as well it helps the number one you know makes them human a lot more because it's like oh that's right they have to deal with the same stuff too and two it just like again it wakes us up to the fact that you know we all like everyone here has to deal with the same shit this year this last year that you know over the last year or so year plus and we all have to kind of you know figure this out together because like there's a lot of shit everyone that literally are still unanswered right now. And that's a sad thing. Yeah. And when we're looking at hockey players, it's, it's crazy to think in the sport where you're skating and you're stick handling, having a broken foot or a broken hand aren't necessarily going to be signs that you're not going to be playing. Like every year we get those stories about people or like, yeah, you can skate on a broken foot. So it's been broken for the past, you know, four months and you're just like what that that seems like it's going to be very painful for every aspect of your life and it's probably going to be very painful beyond that um so i, I mean, think it's who a, was it was it oh, i can't remember who it was now was it jamie ben was playing with like a broken rib in the playoffs oh um i think so it was definitely someone from dallas it was a broken was a rib in a pierced lung too yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. A player who had a broken rib and a pierced lung. I think it, I'm not sure if it was Dallas. I think it was a like 
I think at one one of the years it was a Boston player. Like, but have a freaking pierced lung and a broken rib, like, oh god, like what? How? Why? Like, you know, and then you have you know players who will play on torn ACLs, like why? Yes, I get it. You're hockey players, but don't push yourself. Don't continue to push yourself through that. Like that's just gonna make things worse. Um, so I think you may be right because uh, I'm seeing Patrice Bergeron um, back that's in 2013. That's what it was. Bergeron. That's right. That was the year they won I mean, the even cup more too, recently, wasn't it? Like Dallas after the play-ins um, or the playoffs or whatever literally listed a ridiculous list of players like Tyler Sagan had a torn labrum in his hip <laughs> like yeah. Ben Bishop had to have surgery uh Asa Lindell John Klinberg had hand and shoulder injuries Rupe Hintz had an in a hip injury and a fractured ankle Radic Faxer broke his wrist like Jamie Ben had a shoulder injury like like Blake Como had um, a separated shoulder, like a whole range of injuries that players go through. And especially when it comes to like the playoffs time, they don't want to be letting their team down. After the playoffs, like I'm, I keep expecting them to be like, so-and-so player actually died two months ago, but we've just been like, you know, putting him out there weekend at Bernie's style. Cause it's always just the <laughs> most horrific injuries. Yeah, that's uh, that's not far off from some of the stuff you hear, though. Like, it's freaking ridiculous how something like again, like like I said, some player is playing on freaking torn ACLs. Like, I like like I can I, I can barely imagine like getting up in the morning with a torn ACL. I just like I would I just wouldn't want to get out of bed. I'm like, no, nope, no, I can't do it. I struggle getting up from my sofa most days. I mean, Jesus. Like, and, and I will say like. We talked earlier about Kessel being injured last season. Sometimes I wonder, like, would it be better for you to just sit down and, like, rest versus play on it? I can't make that call, but it's always something that I'm thinking about, especially when we hear about these long-term injuries and how it's struggling. We're like, man, maybe it's just best for everyone if you just sit out for a couple of games. And I- I'm-, I'm wondering if we will actually see that. Um, in the next coming years and players being like, you know what? No, um, I need to be the one who has like my health interest at heart. It can't be the coach. It can't be the team doctor. Cause we've seen where they're, they're not always team doctor. will just best. give you they'll just, There's like, all right, here's morphine. Here you go. Now go back out. Yeah. I don't want to say that's, like that team doctors or coaches are pushing players to go back. Cause that's a very serious thing to accuse someone of. Uh, but yeah, it's players need I to mean, be there. They're hired by the team, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. There's still a lot of questions to be asked when it comes to that. But I'll say one thing that we'll start because of stuff, we're starting to see more of that, obviously, with, you know, like Hendrick Lundqvist deciding not to play. And, or the same. In the same case with over, during the playoffs this last year, and Steven Stamkos, you know, coming back, you know, during the cup final, playing a game, and then he decided, no, I can't do this. I'm going to sit out. So, I mean, that's it shows that players are starting to become a lot more mindful about their bodies. And it's like, holy crap, I got to really, 
you know, take care of myself. Hopefully it'll not just be like Henrik Lundqvist and Stamkos who are able to do that. Like if you're a fourth line player, I'm sure there's a lot more pressure on you to, to not do that. But like health concerns, like I think is going to be a thing. I can't wait for there to be like a scrub who's just like, you know what? I can't play. I need to get healthy. And everyone in like fans and media applaud him and be like, yeah, it, it doesn't just need to be Steven Stamkos or Corey Crawford. Like this shouldn't be a thing that you reach a certain level at either stardom or just age of your career and you can walk away. You don't get, uh, there's no, there's no point in the career where you feel like, you know, I had a good enough career. Like you, the, the no point where you earn it. It's not like, uh, it's not like it's like, oh, I won an MVP. I think I deserve. I think I can take a year off now and and just focus on myself now. No, it doesn't work that way. If you need to yeah. take time off, take time off. Yeah, and that uh, I mean, who knows? Uh, a big health pandemic is gonna open people's eyes to a lot of issues. We're seeing that now, and. It seems like players are going to be taking better care of themselves, which I applaud because I like hockey and hockey is not as much fun if I worry that players are going to die. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's start moving on to the topic and kind of close, kind of get some clo- like closing stuff in here because we we're, we're running a bit long. Um, let's talk. Let's just kind of. Finalize how the season was going to go. Now, Carl, I had you on my on my other podcast to talk about how the season's going to go, but let's talk about that again. You know, and you know, it's good to have you, James, on here too. Um, and we kind of went into this for the Coyotes' sense, but uh, where exactly do you see this Coyotes team finishing in the standings in this con in this Honda division? Because again, like 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 we were just saying before, we got into the uh, whole uh, sidestep of ment- of a player health. Uh, we we're like this. These top, the number three and four spot in this Honda division are really up for grabs. And it could really literally any one of those three teams between St. Louis, Minnesota, and Arizona. How confident are you in this Coyotes team this year? After, And this could be, you know, either preconceived notions or based off what you just saw in these first two games. Obviously, it was against San Jose, so it's hard to really make a full judgment, but let's try to make something make something out of it anyways what do you guys think so for me um if the coyotes can stay healthy because that that's been the biggest issue with the team the last two years i feel like um obviously they've they've worked to address that with the staff changes in the off season which i think hope will hopefully help the teams look good um the players that have brought in that have been brought in i said earlier i feel like they match tockets like desired system well the lines look like they're gelling quite nicely i love the the top line of um garland schmaltz and hayton really gives the team an actual um offense first sort of mentality line obviously kemper and ranta are always going to be an excellent tandem to help the team i think they will steal the fourth spot in this division. I think the game from St. Louis against the Avalanche was a huge night off for them. They won their opening game 4-1. So, I mean, the Blues are still the Blues. They won the Cup less than two years ago. 
Um, so I think it's still going to be the Blues with the third spot. But I think the Coyotes can eke out the Wild for the fourth spot. One of the uh, the models that I saw in um, predicting the final standings during the off-season had the Wild pipping the uh, the Coyotes by, I think it was one and a half points based on their model. So the Coyotes just need to get yeah. results against the Wild um, in a big way, I'd say. But I reckon they can do it as long as they continue playing the way that they've shown so far. They don't lose confidence and they stay healthy. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. Health is going to be a main factor. Um, I think goaltending is going to be big. Uh, basically, I think this season is going to come down to what is the Coyotes' record against the Wild. You know, whichever one of those two teams is better is going to get that spot. Uh, because the division is mostly going to like feast on the California teams. And there will be like, you know, San Jose... They won that first game, so they'll eke out some wins. Like, we are going to probably see the Ducks beat the Avalanche at a point because it's hockey, and, like, anything can happen. But yeah, these teams are if, playing eight times. Yeah. Uh, if if the Coyotes can, like, do decently against the against the big teams, um, the St. Louis, the Bank, or the uh, Vegas, and the Colorado, like I said, get, like, three points in those and then just – win a majority of their California and Minnesota excuse me, win a majority of their California and Minnesota games, I think we can we can have a, a really good season and return to the postseason. And I think that's extremely doable and I think it's fairly likely. Here's what I um some of the stuff that I'm thinking about when it comes to how this team's this team's gonna stack up against the rest of the division, and I really do think it's pretty much gonna be a, f- a battle between uh, for that fourth spot between them and Minnesota, and um the thing I'll say is as as much as praise and as much as Kirill Kaprizov is probably gonna end up being you know a, a Calder Trophy finalist come the end of this year because she's shown that he's going to be a really good player this year after the first few games. He's not all he's not always going to go against a Jonathan Quick who's no longer that good of a goaltender. Him going against Darcy Kemper or Antti Ranta or even Aiden Hill, those are much that, that, that those will probably be could be more of a challenge for him. Um, you know, obviously a rookie rookie goaltender is a rookie uh player against those kind of goaltenders would be more of a challenge. I think that's a, a side where, you know, Arizona would have the leg up because I would not put my uh, if I'm uh, Minnesota, I wouldn't put my faith in the Cam Talbot. Are you kidding me? So the it's gonna. I, I think that's what's gonna help the Coyotes a lot, and I think that's why I personally had the Coyotes having that leg up, and that's why I have the Coyotes finishing in that fourth spot. So having that four in Vegas, Colorado. Uh, St. Louis and Arizona in that order. Um, so, yeah, I mean, based off that, you know, I think I've seen a lot from what this Arizona team can do. And I've, of course, I've seen a lot of their players develop in Tucson. And I'm like, and I know what these, what the team is capable of. And a playoff spot is definitely within their realm this year. It's um, it, it's definitely important to not 
get too excited over over two good games against a not great team. Um, but although, I, well, I mean, you got to give at least a little bit of credit. I mean, out of the California teams, San Jose is probably the best. Come on, like Anaheim is like god awful. And yeah, but they have Gibson. Yeah, but yeah, but like you're talking about, like you're like they have a they have a good goaltending, but the rest of the team, like, come on, like true. But if you told me like that at the end of the year that Anaheim played John Gibson for 56 games and he won 30 of them, like by himself, it would not be outside of the realm of possibilities. It would be crazy. Honestly, if, but... you would, if you if you want to know my full standings, it's going to be this. It's going to be Vegas. Colorado, St. Louis, Arizona, Minnesota, San Jose, Los Angeles, Anaheim. I like John Ooh. Gibson, but I just don't think Anaheim is a good team. Oh, I mean, I agree with you. I am 100% there. They're not a good team. I am saying that he is a good enough goaltender to steal wins for a bad team. Uh and a 56 game but season how, but, but but in this but in this condensed year how much do you actually give him because you, there's going to be back to backs there's going to be again it's going to be enough times playing against him that players will kind of figure him out in some ways so like you can you don't want and if you if you're Anaheim you don't want to burn him out and have them get two figured out. So you're going to have to try to split it with their backup, which I don't even know who it is. Is it still Ryan Miller? Uh, I'm not sure. Let's pull up their stats. I think it is. So they've got Ryan Miller and Anthony Stolarz. Yeah. See... I wouldn't put my trust into either of them to, you know, help carry the Ducks team. So that's why I have the Ducks at last. So that's what I'm saying. Like, so Arizona, as you know, like, yeah. So the uh, the Sharks are definitely one of the worst teams in, in the division. I mean, all the California teams are. But out of the California teams, they're the best one. So that yeah. gave a little bit of a better challenge. Versus, you know, Minnesota be, having to beat uh, L.A. in overtime both times. Like, you got to look at you got to look at things from a bigger picture standpoint, and like it, it just shows promise for, in on, on those on all those sides that I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm just I'm worried because after the. After the Colorado series, the the Arizona fan base really had an existential breakdown where they're like, the team's not good enough. We need to just strip it for parts and move on. And and no, um, that turned out to not be the case. And I don't want people to do the same thing if like the Coyotes win one game like of the four against the Vegas Golden Knights. Because I, I feel like we're just kind of as a fan base, we're not in a comfortable enough position with the team to not treat every result with like way more emphasis than it needs. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I get it. But uh, but, but yeah, I mean, but it yeah, be... you're right. I would say that they beat the best California team, which is 
it's something. Yeah. Hopefully they can make it count when all is said and done at the end of the season. It's important to like get those points when you can. Like, even if they're the better team, like, if they're not getting points, what good is it? Like I said, on? these are four point games. Every single one of them yeah. is a four point game. And that means a lot. Especially and, and especially in this condensed season. Because you don't get a full 82 at 56. That makes a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be interesting, guys. It's it's fun. Hockey is fun, and it's back, and it's, it's, it's fun. We get to actually see games instead of try and figure out, like, what's happening in a weird offseason. Do we actually get to see games, though, Carl, with uh, Fox Sports Arizona barely being available anywhere? Look, if we want to talk about problems with Sinclair Broadcasting, I am more than happy to. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I think Kat Silverman like tweeted out like she's like, yeah, I retweeted um, Craig's article, and like five people told me that they also have problems with their local sports. And if you look at those cities, it's probably not five different cities with problems. It's one company that five different groups have problems with. Sinclair Broadcasting is terrible. Uh, I get to watch games, but not uh, a lot of other people do, and that that's really unfortunate, especially for a team like Arizona where they're always talking about growing the game. You can't grow a game if you can't watch it, and there's not really too much the Coyotes can do about that. And there's only 3,000 fans let into the, into the arena right now, which still is questionable. But... Yeah. I do not support there being fans in the arena right now. Uh, I will say I'm glad that every, every they're all pretty well socially distanced from what it seemed like, but still, yeah. even it, still, it's not like what was that college team that won the a big game and like they, they cut to a crowd of just massive people like when Notre Dame beat Clemson in the like mid November whatever. Like, come on, guys, I'm like. It's it's a it's an interesting time, and I am not always going to agree with the decisions that the team makes um, off ice. On ice, I am really happy, and that is great. It's nice to be happy about one thing. Yep, which is quite a rare thing to say about the Coyotes in the past few yes. years. <laughs> Being happy yeah, about one bad. thing is a step up, uh, which is sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just being an Arizona an Arizona sports fan in general, isn't that right? Yeah, it's not fun. You're tending, yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up because we're approaching the ninety minute mark on this episode, which is uh, you know always one of our longer episodes. But that's okay because we're here weekly, well, as my, maybe as weekly as we can get. Hopefully, um, here on. Desert Dogcast, again on 5forhowling.com. Uh, it should be a good show um, this season, and I think uh, uh, this combined with my other podcast is going to probably by the end of this season, I am going to be super tired. Uh, I'm going to be talking more coyotes than I ever have ever before, which is fine. I can't complain talking about hockey. 
Um, but it's definitely definitely different. But I'm glad to be back. I'm glad hockey's back. So uh, on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Desert Dogcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to uh, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. We're on Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, literally anything, Stitcher, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have not yet already, subscribe. If you can leave a review, we'd appreciate that as well. Um, you can follow all of us on Twitter. Well, first, our podcast, at, uh, at Desert Dogcast, and you have uh, at uh, 5 for Howling, our personal accounts that you got for, personally for me, at Robiano1. I am at Carl Pavlak, FFH. And I'm at James RJ Reeve, RWVE. So you can follow all of us on Twitter, and uh, we're all talking coyotes on our Twitter accounts and uh, sharing the coyotes news, retweeting stuff from Craig Morgan or Kat Silverman or whoever else helps cover the Coyotes in any way. Um, so be sure to uh, to give us a follow or even shoot us a DM or, sh- or tweet at us if you have any questions about um, about the Coyotes and we'll talk about it. Um, we can talk about it on, a, on an episode, maybe have a, you know, maybe one question that you ask, we'll have a whole 90-minute episode for it. You never know. But uh, we appreciate you guys all following uh, following us this whole last year. Um, glad to be back for this season. And uh, we'll see you guys all throughout the next several months. Should be exciting. We'll see you guys next time.